the blast from our past network. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Jodorowsky's Doom, starring Alejandro Jodorowsky. Fue tremenda. I wanted to make something sacred. Una película que diera las alucinaciones de LSD. Si tomara LSD to change the young mind of all the world. Michel Sidup said to me, I want to make a new picture with you. What do you want to do? I say, Dune. And he said, yes. C'était le plus beau livre de science-fiction. La Bible de la science-fiction. Succès d'édition mondiale. I didn't read Dune, but I have a friend who said it was fantastic. 3,000 drawings. I shoot the picture, point of view, movement of the camera, dialogue. Designing the spaceships, the clothes, the whole look of his world. The castle. Open the mouth. Uh, the spaceship came in the tongue. His vision was so huge, so beyond what anybody else was doing at that time. Things that George Lucas wasn't even going to try with Star Wars. It's enormous. Hollow's genius was finding the right people. David Carradine, Mick Jagger, Dali as the mad emperor of the galaxy. Dali said, can I have a burning giraffe? All right, all right, we'll have burning giraffe. Or somewhere. Yeah, I say, I don't want to do it. I say, if you do the picture, I will hire the chef of the restaurant and you will eat as here every day. And I say, I do it. Giger nunca había hecho películas. I say to Giger, I need you as you are. Alejandro completely motivated you. It was wonderful. We will change the world. People did not do this film because they were afraid of his imagination. This is a movie that has its fingerprints all over so many other movies. Blade Runner, William Gibson, Matrix. Giger, he make the monster of Alien. And Hollywood start to use my group. It always leads back to Jodorowsky. Could be fantastic, no? What's up, everybody? Welcome to... What did we call it? What the fuck did we call it? Aug... Aug mentory Aug- augmentation month Aug- augmentary <laughs> august documentaries which would be augmentary you know like uh in july and on two dollar late fee we called it july because we were all Jill Jill Sholin. Sholin. yeah and i'm like how about for august because we interview whip hubley i'm like how about aug whip and dustin's like no, no. <laughs> so augmented episodes of podcasting after dark well then that's like somehow that it means that like while you're listening to it on your iphone you're getting some sort of augmentation out of it as well like augmented reality what's up everybody (laughs) we're zach and i are trying to figure out what the hell to call our annual documentary uh august of documentaries augmentary Augmentation mentory, <laughs> something well, you, like that. If you're talking about the future, it's it's very uh, you know you're talking about space and you're talking about things that are very uh, you feel your in your dream, like uh, like the the documentary we're about to talk about today. 
It's terrible. I, I'm like, wow, your your Manahum is much better than your Al, Alejandro fucking Jordanowski. But uh, he's got a little bit of a lisp, though. He does. Tell something, something going on over there. It's like this. Uh, I have some friends from Argentina, and they're like, yeah, Argentina is very like, you know, they they uh, they they what do they drink? They drink uh, farinet, uh, like things like this, you know. This with the lisp. Never mind. He's losing all. He's losing it. I can. I'm watching losing, him go down. Losing. <laughs> Flames. Uh, I mean, this is this is our opening. All of it is our opening right now. So, guys, I know, guys and gals. I'm Corey, aka Sleazy C. Joins me as always, my brother from another mother, Zach, the total snack and Schaefer. And this... Uh, and Manahim Golan is here, too. <laughs> and this, Back from the past. You guys love me so much in the last episode, I decided to show up for this one. And this is the second half. <laughs> just trying to make it through this sentence, man. And this is our second half of our August documentary series. Uh, I assume you all listened uh, last week or the week prior whenever I release this, because I don't know how I'm doing it yet. We're recording these back-to-back. It's a little inside baseball for you, but I assume you all listened to the Go-Go Boys that Zach sort of show show ran and everything, and I am going to be talking about Jodorowsky's Dune. This is a documentary dedicated to the unproduced movie by Jodorowsky, uh, Dune, Frank Herbert's Dune, Um, same, you know it, as David Lynch's Dune and everything, Uh, same story, Um, but... Jodorowsky and his team of, oh man, we'll get to them, produced this amazing book uh, and sold it, you know, sent it around to the studios trying to get this movie made, and it never happened. But what came of it is this legendary story about this movie uh, that never happened. And, but also, like, we get connections. And this all makes sense in, in a little bit as we get into everything, but it's interesting. It's very interesting. So, Jodorowsky's Dune. Zach, I have two questions for you before we jump in. One, what's your familiar what's your familiarity with Jodorowsky and what's your familiarity with Dune? I was living in Taos, New Mexico for a while back in 20, 2004, and they had this uh cool indie cinema there called like Third Eye Cinema. And they like owned a barn or something and and showed these um obscure cult movies that I'd never seen before. One of which was Dilse, which is this great Bollywood film where they have this huge uh, choreographed dance sequence on top of a moving train. It's insane going through uh, just India, right? And uh, one of the films they showed there that night was uh, Holy Mountain. Okay. And then they showed Santa Sangre, which Mm. is another uh, Jodorowsky film. And El Topo. Wow. Three films over the course of like a week I saw of his. So I was fully immersed into Jodorowsky in 2004, just blown away by his aesthetic and avant-garde style and never knew about the Dune documentary until I think it premiered on HBO, um, perhaps saw the trailer for it and thought, wow, that looks really cool and just never got around to watching it. Then you pitched wanting to do it for the show and i watched it and then i was like wow i can't believe i waited this long to see this documentary and what a wild trip it is but also i meant like what is your familiarity with dune the franchise the 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 property as well yeah and so 
I saw Dune, David Lynch's Dune in the theater. I own the action figures. I own the coloring book. <laughs> the fact that they made LJN action figures of Sting, uh, God, the guy, I forget the actor that plays the big bulbous dude, but, you know, Kyle McLaughlin, um, Sean Young. Sean Young. They didn't make a figure for her, but they made like uh, uh, Kyle McLaughlin's dad, which I think was played by Jurgen Prochnow or yeah. Jurgen. Yeah. Yeah. From I the think, keep. Yeah. Yeah. From the keep. Yeah. And um, I, I can't believe they made those figures, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and they and I had all of them and I played with them in the sand and they got sand in their joints and then they stopped working so well. And of course. It sucked. But. I, like I had Dune figures and I remember seeing it in the theater when it came out. When What year did it come out? Like 83 or 82? 84, or yeah, somewhere around 84. two, three, four. Yeah, somewhere in the early like 80s. I was seven or eight years old when it came out. I'm like, why Why am I seeing this movie? You know, Clearly, my mom had an affinity for films. That's why she took me all the time. Well, and also but, it was billed as, as a Star Wars killer. Like it was the yeah, next Star Wars, you know? Which it's so not. No, and I remember no. not... I never I remember not disliking it, but I remember not really remembering it all that much and not really paying any attention to it. And then watching the new one that came out not that long ago and fell asleep, you know, 15 <laughs> minutes in. I, and then I'm like, I'll watch this movie when I'm not so tired. Um, and I will. I never watched the television series, but I've heard really good things about it. And that's my familiarity with Dune. I mean, I'm, I'm fully I fully understand the story and the characters and the plot. Um, I understand it a lot more now and I like Jodorowsky's version more now because I saw those things, you know? Yeah. I didn't see Dune in the theater, but I saw it pretty young, probably when it first came out on HBO and everything. Um, and I remember liking it, but not understanding it at all. But being like, I need to probably read the book to understand. Like, even though I was super young, I was like, I knew it was based on a book. And I was like, maybe if I read the book, I would understand it better. I didn't read the book until I got a little bit older. But I adore that story. I have read, and this, guys and gals, let me preface this by saying, and Zach knows, I read like a book every six years. I barely read. I've read the first Dune book about three or four times now. It's one of my favorite sci-fi stories. Wow. Um, I, I enjoyed the David Lynch movie, but I actually own the Sci-Fi Channel miniseries DVDs. I love that. I thought that was a great, great adaptation of the story. Um, I played the Sega Genesis real-time strategy game uh, Dune. I think it's called like Dune 2000 or something like that. It's it stupid. It had a stupid uh, like underscore a subtitle name, but it was just Dune real-time strategy game. Um, I remember when I was working at Funkoland. Uh, this is when like the PS one came out. We were still buying that Dune game for the Sega Genesis for like a hundred dollars because we would sell it for like two hundred or something. It was crazy because that's how rare it was. Um, I I love the the Dennis Villanove movie. I saw that in the theater. I have the four K Blu Ray. Um, I don't think that there's any perfect version of Dune. I think the book is my favorite version. Um, and the funny thing is. As much as I've read the first book four times, I've never read past the first book. So I really don't know what comes after that. But other like, other than that, the Dune story, that one singular story, the first book, I love. And I love seeing it anytime I could possibly see it. So this Jodorowsky's Dune, 
Yeah, I would love to have watched this one too, dude. Oh my god. Well, for, first of all, really quick, because you mentioned the Dune television series, you know that Umbrella Entertainment, who puts out great Blu-rays, they're based in Australia, they're releasing a Frank Herbert's Dune Collection Collector's Edition. It comes with Blu-rays. Uh, it's a brick. There's a, a Lego set that comes with it. Uh, now, I, I did not know that. The only Umbrella Blu-ray I own is the Punisher one uh, with Dolph Lundgren. Um, and by the way, I think all Umbrella Blu-rays are region-free, even though they're Australia-based. So uh, as soon as we get off this recording, I'm going to go and, and try to find that there. Wow. Yeah, so yeah, they. So- I own the Megaforce version, uh, the the deluxe box set they put out for Megaforce. If you buy directly from them, I'm I'm plugging them only because this is important. Um, if you buy directly from them from their store, their first purchase you get like twenty percent off or something like that. Okay, and it ends up working out really good. So I bought that Megaforce deluxe box set that was limited edition. This is limited edition as well. So, anyways, I'll, I'll see if I can track that down. And I also own the DVD of Children of Dune, which is the second miniseries they did. But it's not it's not just the Children of Dune book. It's Dune Messiah. Also, they basically condensed both books into one. Anyways, all that being said, I am very well versed. In the first Dune book slash movie slash story, whatever you want to refer to it as, I am not at all versed in Alejandro Jodorowsky films. I've never seen El Topo. I've never seen Santa Sangria. I've never seen The Holy Mountain. Um, Zach, since you've seen all three of them at that one showing, if I had to watch one, which one would you recommend? I think you like Santa Sangre the most. It's more it's more horror based than anything else. El Topo's good. Holy Mountain. Holy Mountain is you know it's it's weird. It's it is everything that they show and they yeah. kind of t- touch on in the documentary. And um, uh, and El Topo is fine. I think Santa Sangre is just like I like the, it's to me like one of his more polished out of the three. Um, and I think they're available on Blu-ray somewhere. El Topo is probably the hardest one to find, maybe able to find it on YouTube. Um, I would go either El Topo. Well, knowing you, you probably would like Holy Mountain the most. You'd be tripping on it, watching it. (laughs) Right tripping balls watching that shit, man. (laughs) I just love the fact that in the documentary, you know, he pretty much states that he wants to make a movie for people that think they're on LSD, Without being on LSD. Right, right. So to get into this documentary and in the discussion, again, just like our discussion with the Go-Go Boys uh, previously, we're gonna we're we're not gonna break this down. We're not gonna walk you know walk through it scene by scene or anything like that. We're gonna bounce all over the place. Yeah. So we hope that you watch that doc. We hope that you watch the Go Go Boys, and then we also hope you watch this one as well. I think this one's a bit easier to find. You can find because Sony Pictures put out this Blu-ray. So it, I mean, I think it's like a less than twenty bucks. You can find it on Amazon, and it's a, it's an amazing. It's a great documentary. It's very well made. It is. Go buy it on the physical media. Don't don't support the uh, streaming services. Don't. So go buy it on physical media because it's worth it. And it's got extras on it, too, I believe. Uh, but it's a great transfer. And man, yeah, we won't we won't go into spoils. But man, oh, man, like from the get go, you're just like this dude is an artist to the highest degree. Yeah. So. I mean, this documentary is also going to be 
you know, insight into Jodorowsky. It's, it's, it is him, you know, yes, there are other people that they talk to and everything, but he is the creative force behind this, this Dune movie. And right out of the gate, two things that I think are important to know, Zach, you brought up one is that he wanted to make a movie where you would get all the feelings or ex- uh, visualness and experiences of an LSD trip with, and and also he very wants to change your mind about things. Like he wants this to be like a world changing, you know, movie, but he also wants it to be visual. And he also wants it to sort of like elicit an, a response like that. Um, but also, you know, th- this movie dives into just like, like the creative process and, and how much, you know, I mean, he, he's an auteur and we love auteurs like, like John Carpenter and everything, but I think he's even more of an auteur than John Carpenter. But like, dude, this, this, this documentary starts with him talking about making an LSD trip and then it's, and then it goes right into talking about how he wanted to make a cinematic profit. He wanted to make, he wanted to like literally change the, the, the shape of the world. He wanted to 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 make something that changed people's minds, that sort of changed the course of society. And this came out that, you know, he was trying to do this before Star Wars came out. And this failure, I think, of not being made opened the door. I mean, Star Wars did the thing that I think he wanted to do with Dune. Yeah, I, I would say no to self. If you're going to pitch a movie to studios, if you're going to go to a studio to pitch a movie to get it made, don't give them every single key to the castle that's inside your brain because they will take that they will take those keys, push you out of the door, and just make a bunch of movies based on the book that you gave them. <laughs> yes. So, all right. So, so without watching the documentary, if if this is the first time you're 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 hearing about this or whatever. A little setup needs to be sort of uh, uh, yeah, you know, put yeah. into place before you before we can start our freeform discussion. So, what Jodorowsky did with with this A team of creatives, Dan O'Bannon, Chris Foss, H.R. Geiger, Salvador Dali, Pink Floyd, Orson Welles. It was a tour de Mick force. Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger. Tour de force of of creatives attached to this project, right? What Dan oh, Mobius artist Mobius. So the setup is for this documentary. Jodorowsky and his producer friend, you know, who wanted to make a movie with him, they wanted to make Dune. He hires Mobius to basically design the characters and to do an entire like to act as his camera, and they create an entire book. They storyboard the entire movie. He hires Geiger, H.R. Geiger, Geiger, however you want to pronounce his name, to design House Harkonnen stuff. Uh, I think Mobius designs the um, the Atreides character, uh, the Atreides characters, House Atreides. Um, we see this famous spaceship designer, um, you know, sci-fi artist Chris Foss uh, working on it, and also <laughs> motherfucking Dan O'Bannon gets brought to Paris to to work on this movie, and we'll discuss. All of the ramifications and everything about these people later, but just know right now they all he Jodorowsky brings them all together and they produce this giant tome 
this massive book that explains the entire movie. It's a visual, it's a visual guide to what this movie is going to look like. They send it out to every single studio out there, and they all pass because first off, Jodorowsky was kind of like they didn't really want to work with him because he's kind of a you know a, a bit of a an eccentric filmmaker, but also he was not wavering on what on how he sort of his vision of it. So what? Well, yeah. Yeah, and I just, I just want to finish this by saying all that's left are two books, two hard copy books. But the the influence of this of this unmade film from shots, and they talk about the end of the documentary, like you know, from shots from like the opening shot of the movie Contact, how it goes through the entire solar system. That was Jodorowsky's opening for this movie Dune. So, like Zach says. They they showed them everything. Like we had this is exactly how we're gonna make this movie, and everyone passed. But then everyone fucking took pieces from it. And this in this in this Jodorowsky Dune unmade movie is also one of the most influential sci-fi movies of the late seventies prior to Star Wars. Yeah, because like Corey said, up until this point, th- we're talking nineteen seventy five. Right. Jodorowsky yeah. had only done two movies up until this point, El Topo and Holy Mountain. Um, and, and like in other experimental things, nothing too concrete, you know, and, and, and to pitch to studios to make a big budget blockbuster a la Star Wars with his Bible, you know, and the, and the Bible was just given out. And what there's like maybe one that exists that we know of, uh, two, right? And then, and so, um, yeah, the not to spoil, not to spoil what is shown at the end of the movie, but they show a bunch of clips from a bunch of movies that have bitten off of it, and you're, it, it's mind blowing because you're like, it, it's from from Star Wars, which you already said, to I'd say maybe five or six years ago. You know, and it is mind blow. And to this day, maybe even the newest Dune, you know, took elements of that. Um, I wouldn't know because I fell asleep 15 minutes in. So I will watch <laughs> like it. <a> dad. <laughs> I was tired. I was a dad. I'm a dad. Yeah. You know, I love quiet movies, but when I need to fall asleep. Um, but my God, like Jodorowsky to me is the definition of a true artist. And should never make a studio film ever just like Richard Stanley should never make a studio film ever. And Which that's is funny not... because Richard Stanley's in this documentary. Like he's one of the people they actually talked to. And I was like, that's perfect to have him on here. It's perfect because he knows firsthand what trials and tribulations Jodorowsky went through and why, why Jodorowsky would be on, would be angry with certain things. Right. And would be, upset and confused um you know because this business like you heard in the last episode the the entertainment industry is it's a business and the people that come into it are not always business savvy or have that mindset and Jodorowsky like the team he assembles is a it's a who's who it's an a team of artists yeah not 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 business people and he yes it's all artists because one of the things that the document so documentaries it's very like in order you know talks a little bit about it's beautifully produced yeah 
Yeah, and it's easy to follow. Starts with El Topo and, and you know, the Holy Mountain and everything, sort of where you know, a little bit of a backstory on Jodorowsky. And then, you know, it gets into, I mean, the bulk of the movie, that, that backstory. Anything non-Dune is like only 10 or 15 minutes. The rest of the movie is all based on producing this. So, Zach, let's talk about him assembling his A-team. So, first and foremost, he wants to work with people that he calls spiritual warriors because he viewed this movie as something special. He wanted, again, I can't stress this enough. I do believe that in his heart of hearts, he wanted to make a movie that changed the world. And I do think Dune could be that movie. And I mean, Star Wars is also influenced by Frank, Frank Herbert's Dune. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about that. And I will always love Star Wars, but he is influenced by Dune because you can't discount the fact Frank Herbert's Dune is and was at the time a massive hit and a cultural hit uh, as far as like sci-fi books go. So, you know, Jodorowsky wants to assemble a, a you know, spiritual warriors, basically. First person he acquires is Mobius. Holy fucking shit, Mobius. So, guys and gals, if you don't know who Mobius is, you have seen his his influences in his artwork, and I'll use the best example. He worked on Star Wars, but the best example is, I think of his work, is The Fifth Element. Um, remember the cops in The Fifth Element with their armor and everything? They kind of had those cone-shaped helmets. That is a Mobius thing. He always fucking has these cone helmet things. That is so freaking Mobius. But he's a French artist. He's a French comic book artist. But his style is so cinematic. And it's it's just unbelievable. And if you, I guarantee you, nine, nine out of ten of you all, if you look him up and you see his artwork, you'd be like, I recognize that. Or I, can, I feel like I recognize that. Because there's so many people who fucking rip it off and everything. So first person he acquires is Mobius. <clears throat> yeah, I was going to say that spartacus and the sun beneath the sea that cartoon that i brought to tv obscura which yeah. i think was our first or second episode it's hugely influenced by mobius yes with the style and um yeah jodorowsky points out i think right as he talks about assembling his spiritual warriors uh he says he's he's a, he he's claims that he's a union breaker he breaks unions because art shouldn't have rules yeah yeah right mm-hmm. and he maintains that feeling so moving forward with the people he selects it's obvious that mobius for one is one of those guys where you look at his art and you're and you might go i don't get it you know there's gonna be some people that just i don't get it it's not mainstream it's different oh yeah it's, but it's, it's brilliant and and you're like okay from the get-go, I'm like, wait, this this guy's trying to get a studio film made? Like, this, there's just no way. Like, I get it. I get, I get what he's doing. I love it. But there's no way a studio is going to want to do a movie like this. No. And even if they say they are, they're lying. Because, I mean, when when Fifth Element came out, people were like, what is this? What 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 am I looking at? You know, and there's some people that loved it, including myself and I'm oh, sure yeah. you too. Yep. And then there's some people that just didn't understand it at all, you know, but, but it had that fine line. It rode that fine line between an art house movie and a mainstream film. Yeah. We yeah. were ready at that point in 1975. And, and you bring up 
that this book was a game changer, right? When it came out, it was so revolutionary when people yeah. read it. And you're like, I, I think about what movies or what books in the past 20, 30 years have had that effect worldwide. Yeah. And you're like, Harry Potter. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> you know, Twilight series here in America. Like, yeah. oh, really? That's what that, that's the, these are the things now that we look at and can blow our minds. Like literature is, is, has changed so much just like movies have movies still have that effect to change us. I think right? so. I, I believe so. Yeah. And, and there are moments when big studio pictures come out that have an, a huge influence on people. Uh, I just don't think we were ready for Mobius to come into the picture and be like, Oh, that this is accepted as the next big blocks, but big blockbuster kids are going to be playing with toys that look like this. Yeah. Yeah. And I know. And, and especially Mobi- Mobius's art style, like it was just, it was very flamboyant and everything, which was, I think proper for Dune, but not at all yeah. what we saw from the David Lynch movie. Way too ahead of its time. Yeah. Way too ahead of its time. Now, the second person he, he was going to bring in was Douglas Trumbull, who worked on 2001 A Space Odyssey as the, the visual effects guy. I mean, he, he's the guy that did right. all that. I mean, that, that shit was groundbreaking. And they just didn't vibe. You know, Douglas Trumbull, he, you know, to Jodorowsky, Douglas Trumbull was very much like more, not a spiritual warrior, very much more like, this is how it's going to be done. We're going to make this. Be done with it. I'm going to move on to my next project. He just wasn't the right guy. So... Then, <laughs> here's a little Carpenter factor for you. He sees a little movie, tiny little movie called Dark Star, and is like, that's the guy I want, the special effects guy I want there. And he contacts Dan motherfucking O'Bannon. Like, holy fucking shit. And he comes on board because, you know, he, he Dan O'Bannon has the mentality that works well with, with you know, Jodorowsky. And I just, I was like, God, I love I lo- big rips to Dan O'Bannon. Love that dude, man. And I think, you know, it's funny. You know, go listen to our Carpenter Factor on Patreon, yada, yada, yada. I think Dark Star made me love Dan O'Bannon more. I always did. I And, of course, I loved him because he's the director of, of Return of the Living Dead. You know, he also wrote Alien, and there's also a connection with H.R. Giger with, with, through, through Jodorowsky's Dune. That's why we get H.R. Giger in, you know, working on Alien. But, like, watching Dark Star actually made me love Dan O'Bannon. It's really interesting. Um, so I interviewed Beverly Randolph, you know, who plays Tina in Re- Return yeah. of the Living Dead mm-hmm. for a— uh, a magazine that went nowhere um, around the same time I started doing the podcast with yeah, you. Yeah. And she and I had this great, she's wonderful by the way. Uh, if people ever want to get her on their shows, you should reach out to her. Cause she's always like down to participate. Um, she went to Dan O'Bannon's house and he had like porn on his TV <laughs> and a gun on the table. And she just told like this wild story. She got along with him, but she was scared of him. You know, because at this point he's he's out there. So knowing that little piece of information that she gave me totally explains why Jodorowsky's like, look, you're gonna do this thing for me, and you're gonna you're gonna sell all your uh, uh, you're your gonna sell car, everything you your own. apartment. Yeah, he moved to Paris. He moved, moved to Paris, to Paris yeah. to make this movie. So he's assembling this crew and he's putting them all in Paris, right? Mm-hmm. It's just. And then he sees Dark Star of all the movies. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah and I how know. cool is that? How cool is that that he saw Dark Star of all the movies? And that was, and was the movie. And was like, that's my guy. That's like the guy who's doing that special effect. That is, was is, innovative. Yeah. Because, yeah, 2001 up until that point was the only movie really that was doing what it, what people were that was the most avant-garde mainstream film. It still is. Like you still watch 2001 and you're like, this movie captivated an audience. Yeah. Yeah. That's surprising. Well, cause at the time, I mean, cause again, all pre star Wars at the time, sci-fi was kind of rele- relegated to B movies or 2001 a space odyssey. Like there was no sort of in between. Yeah. The only thing I can think of that had come out at the time that I liked that was mainstream with Logan's Run. Yes. I, yeah. Yep. Yep. I'm. I like you know? that movie. Haven't seen it in forever, but I did watch it a bunch as a kid. And I yeah. do think we need to implement something similar to our politicians because eighty is just you know eighty plus is just too too old. Yeah. Come on. Come, come on, on, guys. Now. Even um, if you make even if you're making good decisions, if the retirement age, if you've eclipsed the retirement age and you're still and you're helping run the country. Oh, our priorities. I I know. I well, Way pow, power's a hard thing to get rid of uh, to to relinquish. Um, so I and real quick, I I didn't really plan this, but I think it's a good way to sort of, you know, frame this whole discussion is to be talking about. So we're going to talk about keep talking about the creatives, you know, on the book, and then we're going to also discuss the actors and the musicians that were sort of attached to it. And that'll sort of frame everything and keep our discussion sort of going. So yeah, the next artist they brought in was this famous, uh, sci-fi, you know, artist who he, he was, he has an architect background. His name is Chris Foss. Um, and he designed all the ships for the movie for, for the unmade movie and all the architecture and everything like that. And while I'm not particularly familiar with his artwork, I fucking love it. Everything he does we see is amazing. Yeah. Uh, I believe his image is on the cover of the book. Yes. And and the, the Blu-ray too. Yeah. Um, and I look at that and I'm like, oh, that's a, just a brighter version of a ship I'd see in a Jim, Jim Cameron movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Alien or Aliens. Yeah, wink, yeah wink. exactly. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and then finally, um, he brought in H.R. Geiger uh, specifically only to design everything House Harkonnen. Um, all the bad guys, the quote unquote bad guys. And... You know, it's interesting because you see his his unused uh, images of like that Baron Harkonnen's palace and everything. You see the image pop up in Prometheus and whatnot. You see, I've seen that image, that fat building. You know, I've seen that before. I didn't know that that was for Dune. I I just thought that that was just one of Geiger's because I have some Geiger art books. As an Alien fan, of course, I fucking love Geiger. Um, But holy fucking shit, H.R. Geiger, man. Yeah, and this is before Alien, so clearly the the uh, American audiences are were not familiar with him at this point, and yeah, because he's never at that point at this point his artwork has never been featured in a movie ever. No, so this is his launching point, and again, I have to stress this is 1975, and Jodorowsky's assembling. So far, everything on paper jives. Yeah. Like, who yeah. he's got working for him mm-hmm. is cool. Like, it all makes sense. He's got people that are familiar either with art or with the industry. 
right? Even if Dan O'Bannon is is really green, he's still a part of the industry, right? So he's having discussions with people, and this is all cool. Like this all makes sense. Yeah. Okay. He's yeah. assembling a really creative crew that knows how to work for making movies. But continue, please. Yeah. <laughs> so so they start they're all working on this the the designs you know um mobius is is designing characters and and so is you know giger is designing buildings and stuff for the house harkonnens and everything and so the next idea that jodorowsky has is to have a different like band for each house so he meets with pink floyd to do um house atreides music and he meets with a band that I've never heard of called Magma um, for everything House Harkonnen. Are you familiar with Magma at all? Magma. No, I'm not. I, outside of Dr. Evil, I think, talking about Magma. <laughs> yeah. um, no, obviously Pink Floyd. Yeah. And how he got them on board was funny. You know, like his he's going in and he's meeting with these people, basically saying he wants to work with them. This is how he was working back in the day. Yeah. You know, uh, Menachem Golan, and we didn't bring this up in the episode, but he, you know, he's signing contracts with people on a napkin in a restaurant and uh, like uh, Jean-Luc Godard. And, and then, you know, Jodorowsky is going to people's houses and making like handshake deals with people. And that's how he's doing these things. So, you know, Pink Floyd in 1974, 75 they is probably the hottest. On, they were still yeah. working on Dark Side of the Moon when he met with them. They were, and 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 you know, about to become the greatest band, one of the greatest bands of all time. Right? Mind blowing. Fucking it's crazy, insane. So, and then then Magma, I've never heard of, but they you know they played some clips in the the video, and I think nowadays it's like who would he be doing? He'd be grabbing you know. I don't know, FM-84 or, or, sorry, Gunship or some, you know, kind of like uh, synthwave type bands, which throughout the soundtrack of this ep- of this doc is really great. It's very like synthwave-y, um, spacey type shit. Uh, uh, you know, ca- uh, um, uh, the guy who did the soundtrack for Drive. Um, oh, no, not the soundtrack. That's the director. Uh, or, sorry, Nicholas no, no, Kavinsky. Yeah. No, no, but uh, Kavinsky, oh. I think, is the name of the synthwave artist. You're right, yeah, yeah. And they even have uh, Refn in this documentary. Oh, yeah. Because he's, he's one of the few people who's seen the book. Yeah, um, one of the very few people who've seen it, yeah. And you think about, wow, this this guy, because Refn is, is one of those directors, too, that I feel like it's pretty amazing that he's making mainstream movies. Yes. Uh, because what he, what he does as a visionary is true art as well. Uh, I know you're a fan of drive. I'm a fan of drive. Um, I loved only God forgives. I thought that was fantastic. Me too. I, I thought it was really good. I haven't seen neon demon though. I haven't seen neon demon, but, I, but didn't he do, um, he also did Valhalla rising, which I haven't I seen. I saw either. Valhalla rising and that is wild. It's yeah. so good. I mean, yeah. I, I saw that. Yeah. Like the, Art house mainstream directors are popular. Don't get me wrong. I know they are. That that movie Lighthouse that came out, I wasn't a fan of. Didn't really? we see that together? No, I saw it with my brother-in-law in the theater. I love that movie. I was laughing my ass off. I didn't know that it was going to be a comedy. And I saw it in the theater, me and my brother-in-law are fucking laughing. I'm looking around. No one else is laughing. And I'm like, this is a comedy, guys. What's, what's wrong with you all? Maybe that's why I didn't 
like it as much. I don't know. I was like, okay, I got it, but it, it just dragged a little sure. bit for I, me. Hey, I, I'll never bash somebody for not liking something. Art is subjective. I get it. It totally, totally. I, I you know, and I know people pop boners for it. Case in point, you. But in <laughs> uh, in, I mean, art house movie. I love art house movies, but again, he's assembling something to take over the world. You know, or to like. This is this is a big uh, what do you call it? It's a big mountain to climb. They're perfect. That's a perfect analogy, and 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 it will be an impossible mountain for him to climb. So it will be his Everest. It, it will be, and and actually, kind of like you know, he doesn't make movies much after this. But so next step is he starts bringing actors on board. So for the father, Duke Leto Atreides, who. Uh, uh, Portnow, what's what's his name from um, the Keep? Oh, Jurgen Prochnow. Jurgen Prochnow. I have the worst time saying that. I, I suck at that shit. Um, he he, you know, he played. He's in the, the David Lynch movie, um, but in in you know Jodorowsky's movie, uh, he wanted uh, Carradine, David Carradine, to play Duke Leto Atreides. Thought yeah, thoughts who, on that one? Well, David Carradine, I won't. I won't tell, I won't give the, I won't spoil the story that Jodorowsky tells about meeting Carradine for the first time. Yes. That's but, funny, yeah. but knowing that Carradine um, sexually asphyxiated himself in a hotel room, that's how he took his own life. That tracks. It tracks. <laughs> it does. It does track. He's an interesting uh, dude. Um, uh, but did, did, was that before or after he decided to cast his son as the lead? Well, oh, that was, that was before. So then he, he wanted uh, Mick Jagger as for uh Fred Rautha um uh who Sting went on to play right yes that was the character Sting played in, in the movie um, oh interesting how they cast a rock star to play the it's, interesting it's almost as if they took the bible uh you know that the Jodorowsky made and said no to it and then cherry picked what they wanted and ideas that they thought were good and gave them to David Lynch oh um, interesting. yeah I know right is isn't it funny how that sort of happens um for the Baron Harkonnen, he wanted another big fat motherfucker. <laughs> he wanted Orson Welles, and he admitted that Orson Welles was like one of his idols. Um, his his intro or that that long shot in the opening of uh, Touch of Evil. I've seen that because, of course, I went to film school, so I had to watch that movie. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and, Brian De Palma did too. That's why he yeah. stole it in every movie he's made. I know, I know. And, and again, we always say, if you cite your sources, it's an homage. If you don't cite your sources, you're you're stealing it. Um, right. So his opening, he wanted his opening to be a, an like a long shot, but in the galaxy, you're flying through the galaxy. You're going past like you know battles and wars and you know spaceships destroyed as you kind of fly through the galaxy and you land on Arrakis, Dune, the desert planet, um, and then of course we said that in that opening was kind of stolen with contra- uh, contact. Um, I think that was Zemeckis uh, did contact. I yeah, believe. Yeah, Zemeckis. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but uh, but anyways, so so touch of evil, the the opening, yada yada yada. But he wanted Baron Harkonnen, the guy in, in David Lynch's Dune, who you see, the redheaded guy who's floating around and everything with the sores on his face. He wanted Orson Welles to play Baron Harkonnen. And it's funny how he convinced him to sort of be in the role. Yeah, um, because Orson Welles is, 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 is as big of a... Pl- 
is as big as a planet. Yeah. And then he ended up playing a planet in yes. Transformers the movie. <laughs> yes, he does. Uh, wow, that's interesting. Who eats other planets? Like he's got an insatiable appetite. Yeah, he hired the chef of the restaurant uh, to to be the... Well, he promised him that Pro- he would yeah. hire the chef of... These are all... This is the thing too. Like these are all the promises that were made because this was... Nothing was ever made. So... The promise made to Orson Welles was, I will hire you. I will hire the chef of the restaurant that you're enjoying your food in right now that we're eating in. Um, I want to backpedal really quick because Geiger, Giger, he got brought to the table through somebody else who's crazy important. It was Dali that introduced Giger. Right. So, so yeah. So he goes after Salvador Dali to play the emperor. <laughs> Of the of the known un- of the universe, there's a funny story about how he works out the pay. Again, we're trying not we're trying to get it so you can go watch. Yeah, the, we don't the want to spoil too much. But yeah, I, so, I have a I have a funny Dolly story when you're done with this, though. Yeah, so so you know he courts Salvador Dolly uh, to play the emperor of the universe. Um, and if you've watched David Lynch's Dune, you know he's not in it that much at the end. Um, but it, it is a it is an important character. And uh, he was going to hire, bring on his uh, muse. I forgot her name, but he was going to bring his her, uh, Dolly's muse on as as the the emperor's daughter, who's again doesn't have a lot of you know screen time and everything. But yeah, Geiger is brought is sort of introduced through that sort of circle and everything. Yeah, so I believe this is his muse. I think it's like technic, kind of like his wife. You know, right? Yeah. Dolly, Dolly was so freaking weird, but so obviously so talented. Yeah, and her name is uh, Amanda Lear, by the way. Yeah, so Michael Pere did an interview with uh, How Did This Get Made way, way back when, when they talked about Streets of Fire. I and didn't know they did his... Streets of Fire, I've been, and I've been listening to them forever. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good episode. Where they mostly talk about how much they love the movie. Yeah, a few um, times. There's a few movies that had this game made actually loves, and it's not a, a shit fest. Yeah, it's not a shit fest. And this, this, uh, but Pere talked about how he got his start in Hollywood, but he was a chef in New York. He wanted to be a chef full time. And he meets Salvador Dali at this restaurant. And he's like a waiter there. And the, and he's a hunky dude and the weight in, in Dolly's muse or wife or whatever takes a, a liking to him and decides to tell his fortune with tea leaves in the water. And she's reading his fortune and she goes, you will be a star. You will be the star of a nationwide TV series within the next six months. And in less than six months, he got a lead role on greatest American hero. Oh, did he? Yeah. No shit. I used to watch that was his first starring role. Love that movie. I love that show. He was like, kid. yeah, he was, uh, I forget, he was one of the main characters on the show, but anyways, I mean, so he had a brush with Salvador Dali and, and wow. his wife slash muse or whatever she was. Anyways, he tells that story. It, it, it's a cool, uh, moment. It just made me think of that because yeah, Dali has like kind of, uh, expectations, for what he wants to do with Jodorowsky and Jodorowsky finds a way to get him to do the movie. Yeah. It's, it's a very interesting, like Jodorowsky's not an idiot. The guy's really fucking brilliant. It's like scary, brilliant, but he's so good at getting people to say yes. Like he knows, like he knows what's going to get you the people that he wants to say the people that he wants. He just, 
he he wants Mitch, he wants Mick Jagger for his movie and then he happens to see him the next day yeah. at a thing and they like they lock eyes together and, and Mick Jagger We've, just like moves through the crowd you know like mm, with his big old lips and then Jodorowsky's <laughs> like I want you for my movie and Mick Jagger's like okay and then just like my fades back into the crowd. It's wild. <laughs> it's wild. And so you also have to remember that Mick Jagger, he's, he has a cool perspective on life because he was going to do that. Uh, he was going to do a movie with Warner Herzog. Yes. Yep. Remember? Fitzcarraldo. He yep. was supposed yep. to be in Fitzcarraldo. So like clearly Mick Jagger has certain tastes and we're talking 1975 Jodorowsky even brings that up. He's like, this is when Mick Jagger was at the height of his popularity. And dude, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm, I'm not the biggest Rolling Stones fan or whatever, but 1975 Mick Jagger is a gorgeous man. He's what uh Harry Styles is to people today where, you know, people are getting wet men and women for Harry Styles. Yeah. That's what Mick Jagger was to everybody back then too. And hey, Mick Jagger's still fucking rocking and rolling, so that's hey, that's pretty cool. damn impressive. Hey everybody, Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hey everybody, I'm Tim. And I'm Dean. And we're the hosts of Talking Back. We're a retro-based podcast covering movies, comics, video games, and more. Check us out every Monday where we hit the rewind button and dig into some of our favorite content from the past. We like to keep things fun, lighthearted, and informative. Do you feel like you need more nostalgia in your life? Then check out Talking Back. We're available everywhere podcasts are found. I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we've made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal mm. is a joke. <laughs> and now, back to the show. So, let's talk about the very last cast member that he wants to bring on, and that's his son, uh, I think it's Brontus uh, Jodorowsky, yes. who, you know, is the little naked boy in, in El Topo. Um, he wants him to be Paul Atreides, and he he kind of... He even mentions it at one point. He sacrificed his son to this movie because he kind of basically put him through multiple years of training in order to become Paul Atreides. But, like, I, I get it in my head. I understand where he was coming from because, again, he's tr you got to understand that Jodorowsky's trying to make Dune. It's not a movie. It's it's not a movie. It's supposed to be a cultural awakening. It's supposed to change the course of human history. I mean, whether any movie, I would say Star Wars did that, uh, but very few movies you can say. I mean, Star Trek, but that was a TV show. Like, singular films, very few of them have ever changed the course of history. Um, but I do believe Jodorowsky's Dune, if he had produced it in its entirety, it would have. But he really wanted his son, and he really prepped him. He prepped him by like having him train with martial arts and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, 
the documentary doesn't really get into the detriment of that. His son seems to be kind of okay with it, but I imagine it was probably tough at the time. Yeah. I mean, his son, it's interesting. Like you and I both know that if he got this movie made, his son would not be the lead in the movie. Studio would be like, nope. But seems like Jodorowsky's like, this is the movie I'm making. This is what I have. You're either going to take it or leave it. He's assembling his whole crew. That doesn't happen, you know. That just it doesn't work that way. No. No. <laughs> so so his son, like, his son seems excited, but at the same time too, like also a little overwhelmed, <laughs> you I, know? I, I imagine so. I mean, like your dad is saying that I'm gonna make this movie that's supposed to be a cultural awakening. And I want you at the center of it. Like, well, well that's a lot of pressure. I, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't like when he said, oh, my son's going to be the lead. Basically. I'm like, oh man, really? This is where the movie's going to fail then. You know, like it has the writ, it has a, he, he, st- uh, Jodorowsky starred in El Topo, Holy Mountain. You know, he, he was the lead in his movies. I'm watching this the whole time and I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is amazing. This is amazing. But then I'm like, this is what will be shown in the Mocha or the, or the, or the Broad here in downtown LA, you know, like this is an art house film. This is not going to, this is, um, uh, Melvin Van Peebles, sweet, sweet back, badass song or whatever, you know, like, these independent films that these directors, these visionary people make that are like poetic and beautiful and just everything they pour their absolute heart into it, but it's, it's not going to reach the audience that he thinks it's going to reach, you know? And it's such a shame. Cause I'm like, this is, this is pure art. This is just art. But then movies are commerce. Star Wars worked because it wasn't just art. It was commerce. It was made to fuel the machine, right? That That's the only reason it worked uh, for, for a mainstream audience. And I'm glad you bring up Star Wars because they do talk to, uh, they do interview Gary Kurtz in this movie, who was the producer um, on Star Wars, uh, uh, New Hope, um, and Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. Um, if you wa- ever see behind-the-scenes images of Star Wars A New Hope and you see a guy that has, the, you know, has the Amish beard that doesn't, you know, where you shave the, the mustache, that's Gary Kurtz. And he and, and uh, I think was his name, Lottie, um, they were instrumental in, in getting Star, Star Wars made. And by that, I mean... Star Wars went over budget because of course it does um, because it's, it's, it's so big, you know, and they, they kind of, they were able to keep the money coming and everything. They were, Kurtz is a fantastic producer, but I think that, that it was necessary to have him on this documentary because he flat out says, there's no way you could have made this movie in 1975, 76. It just, it, I mean, he barely, and, and he knows like of anyone, he knows because he fucking produced Star Wars and and Star Wars is scale. A New Hope, the the scale of A New Hope is not the same scale as Dune. Dune is a bigger story than A New Hope is. And yeah. I I'm specifically talking about A New Hope when I say that. Yeah. No, I I I think 
it's it's so beautiful the vision he has and and the idea he has but the whole time i'm like it's the same thing that richard stanley had with island and dr moreau right where you're not going to get this made dude like as cool as as cool as this is it's not going to be a mainstream movie you know go make color space 30 years later yeah (laughs) color out of space yeah and 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 that's a small indie film that you achieved uh, in my opinion, you achieved what you set out to to accomplish with yeah. a with a quote unquote mainstream movie with a mainstream cast, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's the same. It's sad. I'm like I'm watching and I'm like this is the same thing that happened to <laughs> Richard Stanley, you know. To but Richard Stanley got he got to the game. He just didn't know how to play it at that point. And if in it, in this, I guarantee you Jodorowsky would have lost his mind and he probably would have like killed somebody or killed himself because if he, <laughs> if he tried to make his Dune movie within the studio system, cause, and then all, yeah. he, all they said they needed was 15 million granted that's 1975, 15 million. So that there's is, no way though. No, right? no, I think, I think truthfully, truthfully, I think it would probably would have ballooned to about 25 million, if not closer to 30 million. And you got to think in 1975 to now with inflation, that's a hundred plus million because in the eighties late, no, actually nineties. Cause when I talked about stuff in, in, in Seinfeld nineties to now is like doubled, like things like the price is doubled. And so it'd be even more so, Right back then. So, yeah, I, I think we're looking at what would essentially be, I think, a hundred hundred million dollar movie, maybe even more so. And when you think about it, like nowadays. Oh, totally. And I won't name the actor because you guys have to you'll have to watch the, the documentary. But, um, you know, when he promises to somebody that he'll pay them one hundred thousand dollars a minute to be on screen. He's basically promising everything that people like if he wants you for your for the movie. He's going to give you everything you want. Yeah. No questions asked. And then there's a moment in the movie where he's like, it's really powerful. It's really powerful to me where he's, he's, he pulls out a wad of cash and he's showing, he's almost throwing it at the interviewer, you know, like in their face, like this means nothing. This, is this nothing. means nothing. This has and no I'm like, soul to it. Yeah. The money. I get it, dude. I totally agree. I, I 100% agree with everything he says in this movie. I think it's, brilliant it's it's also unfortunate that our world doesn't work that way it's unrealistic his viewpoint is unrealistic it's yeah because the people who control the keys to the castle are are not of that same mindset and richard stanley brings that up he's like because he had tried to work in the the studio system he's like you got to understand you're trying to sell this to people who aren't artists they're bean counters they're the accountants all they see is how much is this going to cost and is this going to bring it back and they and they look at that and they're like it's not and because because we don't trust you Jodorowsky and x y and z other reasons but yeah dude and so as far as the story goes, you know, as far as the the documentary goes, now he has his team created he has you know actors in place he has this giant tome this giant bible that he sends out to the world and gets rejected across the board and in fact not only just rejected they go off and make dune with david lynch and he's like 
fuck, like, I love David Lynch. And you could see it. Like, he's like, I, I probably, if anyone, that's probably his one person that he's like, I actually fucking like this guy. And I like the fact that he talks about, he's like, he didn't want to go see the movie because I, I get that. As a creative, I get that. But I like how his son was like, no, dad, you told me we were spiritual warriors, so we have to go see this. And I like how Jodorowsky, he, he goes and he says, you know, he's relating the story of watching it. And he starts getting happier and happier because the movie fucking sucks. And he, but I like the fact that he's he's yeah. he he's open about that, and he's also open. He's like, but that's it's a human reaction. I, as much as I'm not versed in Jodorowsky's movies, I love how open he is about his feelings, and also like how he seems to be open about him when they're wrong. Like he he'll admit when like. Yeah, maybe that wasn't the right thing to feel, but I'm only human. He seems like he's a very in touch with with who he is as a person. Oh, yeah. I think he's like the most grounded, radical artist I've ever seen. Because multiple times stories were told in, in the documentary where people expected to meet him. And, they, you know, from his movies, they thought he was going to be all crazy with crazy hair and everything. And he's he's very put together. Yeah, I think I do think he understands how to separate like actor Jodorowsky from creative Jodorowsky. I think he does. I think he does. I just don't. I think he. I think he was excited, eager. But you know, when you have a project that you love, with all your heart, and you don't want, and and he also made the project his own. Like, as as he says, he. He raped with love, um, <laughs> and and I'm like, oh boy, that's a really terrible choice of words. Yeah, but whatever. I get what you're saying. His, dude. Yeah, his his analogy was like, you can't like he was talking about Frank Herbert's doom because he does make some changes. Like so, changes to the story. One thing he wanted was that um, Paul Atreides gets killed at the end, but his like like essence goes into everybody, and the idea is that you know. He, he becomes one with everybody. And, and the point is, is that if you kill him as a viewer, you're, you're not so much like I'm going to relate to him. I'm just trying to relate to the story and everyone. And then and then Arrakis, the, the desert planet of Dune, kind of becomes a sentient world and goes out into the universe and everything. And so yeah. he says, like, multiple times throughout the documentary, he's talking about the fact that, like, Yes, Frank Herbert wrote the story, but this is Jodorowsky's Dune, and that's why the documentary is called Jodorowsky's Dune. And he makes this horrible analogy where he's like, he's like, you know, if I respected the work, I wouldn't change it. And just like if you respect your, if you truly respected your wife, you would never have any offspring because you would never have sex with her because you respected her too much. So you need to rip the costume off and and rape. It just. It was a poor choice of words, but I understand what he was trying to say, which is I did too. You're you're supposed to rip away the packaging and take it on as your own. It was just I and and his first language is not English. It's Spanish. He grew up in Mexico, so I think there was a bit of a lost in translation situation there. But terrible analogy. But I understood where he was going with, and I I think he was correct in what he's saying. Just how he said it was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the the message is that he's very passionate about this project, and soup and super disappointed that it didn't get made. Yeah. But and it took him a long time to recover from that because um, I also want to point out too that David Lynch had only made two movies up until this point. He made 
uh, Eraserhead and Elephant Man. Um, Elephant Man being very mainstream, Eraserhead being his Not. most artistic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, and then also uh, Dune, you know, like, yeah, it was PG-13 when it came out in 1984. It came out in 1980. So it came out the same year that Red Dawn came out. I think Red Dawn's like one, the first movie that received the, the PG-13 rating or one of it, the first. It's one, yeah. It's either the first or the second. Yeah, but it's, yeah, top three. Yeah, and then Dune got a, slapped a PG-13 as well, which I I guess that's what made it more accessible to a younger audience. Um, but yeah, I'm sure it's weird that he went and saw it. I think it's I think it's kind of weird that he went and saw it because in this day and age it's like no if you don't want to if you don't you don't see it you know we talk to so many people all the time that are like well I never actually watched the movie <laughs> well, well the <laughs> that guy that was was his partner that was like the producer he does make a comment he's like and I've still never seen it and I never will yeah because it's not your vision yeah. that would be really weird yeah it would kind of be like you know cr- being able to create the perfect mate right and having the formula to make that mate and someone taking that formula and making their own mate their own per- and then yeah. you're like oh well do you want to meet my girlfriend and it's you only know? like a one-time use so like you can't do it again you know yeah and you're like wait i don't know i don't want to meet your girlfriend because that that's that's the that's what i wanted to create <laughs> now he does bring up why does she good- look like joyce dewitt i want her to look like suzanne summers <laughs> by the way i love them both love them both me too me too um, Big, and Terry I, as well. Yes, of, of course. I, but not I, so much the last one that came on. What's her name? The Vicky or whatever. Yeah, oh Vicky. yeah, yeah, yeah. She no, yeah, Vicky? no. And I never watched uh, the spinoff, uh, the Ropers. And oh, Three's the Crowd. Yeah, I never. There's Ropers, and that only lasted one season. Never watched that. And uh, Three's the even though I actually Ropers are my favorite. I like them better than Don Knotts on the show, Mister Far- Furley. Um, but what was the Three's the Crowd? Right, that Three's the was... Crowd, where Jack uh, got married and and had the restaurant, mm. and his uh, and the wife's dad supported it. I think Vicky was the name of his girlfriend on that. And there was like the surfer guy that worked there. <laughs> yeah, I, I never saw that one at all. Oh, watch <laughs> that come to TV obscura. Yeah, bring that one to TV obscura. But it, it was interesting that you know, and I think that this is a perfect transition. You know, Jodorowsky. You know, yes, he's still going to do Santa Sangre. Uh, and Sa- Santa Sangre. There yeah. you go. Um, I, it doesn't that mean Saint Blood or Blood Saint or whatever? Yeah. I think. Um, Which I think is one of his kids is in that. Uh, Axel Jodorowsky. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, I'm not sure if that's his kid or not, but shares the last name of Jodorowsky. Okay. So, so but he does go on to make comic books with Mobius. Um, he he goes on to make a bet, Meta Barons. Um, and, and, and I think the humanoids or something like that. But, and the funny thing is like, I recognized a lot of it because I was reading a lot of heavy metal when I was a kid and a lot of that stuff, uh, they brought some of them over. Like, I think they reprinted some of the meta Baron stuff in heavy metal, but also they would, you know, I think heavy metal would maybe publish the, the Jodorowsky stuff. But at the time I didn't know who Jodorowsky was, but the documentary does show that like a lot of the ideas that he had for Dune and, and, you know, Jodorowsky's kind of okay with where things are at right now because he got to actually express these ideas through Meta Barons and other comic books that he did with uh, uh, Mobius. Yeah, he found ways to express himself. Yeah. 
He didn't do Santa Sangre until uh, 1989. Okay. Um, he, he and he's done a handful of projects since. He's 94. He's years still old alive now. Yeah. He's still alive, which I think is pretty. Well, well never mind. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Don't say shit, man. <laughs> don't say shit. And we got we got to say the this documentary um, came out in 2013, and it's interesting because Zach's. The one Zach did, the Go-Go Boys, came out in 2014. I didn't realize they were so, kind of so close together. Yeah, but I'm still convinced that our the, the Go-Go Boys, even though it was it came out in 2014, it didn't actually come out on Blu-ray until like a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. There's a giant gap in time. I think it was, I think it sat on a shelf, to be honest with you, until MVD probably picked it up. It did, yeah. Um, but this one's different, you know, the, the, and we talked about this in the Go-Go Boys doc that, you know, last year doing the Richard Stanley one and the Herzog film, while they're both similar because they both featured directors, uh, you know, Stanley doc and the Jodorowsky doc share the same universe in the sense that like true artists who didn't get to fulfill their dreams, you know, and, and then the, the, Herzog, Kinski doc and the Gogo Boys doc are similar because it's two guys who went down this path together and then one took a turn to go continue his career and the other took a turn to kind of bury his career. It's interesting how we both picked. I mean, it wasn't like sort of like, oh, I'm going to pick you know something that's very auteur and centric and you're gonna pick something a bit more nebulous or whatever like it just it kind of gives you an insight into what you know we sort of look for uh possibly into like documentaries and whatnot but yeah my my two are definitely you know auteurs that 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 didn't have the their both of them that it's like their dream projects it's auteurs whose dream projects didn't happen it's very interesting psychologically because <laughs> you are you are on a clear you are in a clear 100% driven path to one specific thing i on the other hand have like two little perspectives on my shoulder you know being a f- parent and then also creatively artistic so however i think the ending to both of our stories will be totally different to the ending of these two documentaries <laughs> exactly. that we talked about this month. <laughs> exactly. And let me, it's let me ask weird. You, it's weird. And let me ask you, buddy, like, I mean, this is your first time watching this one. And, and I know you're not like, I know you like David Lynch's Dune and everything, but you know, you're not the biggest Dune fan in the world, but like what overall thoughts on this documentary? Would you recommend it? Oh yeah, absolutely. I'd watch it again in a heartbeat. I own it. So I, I would watch it again purely because uh, I think it's really well done. And, you know, people were saying, I remember when it first came out, they're like, oh, you pretty much get to see the whole movie. Yeah, but it's a documentary. You don't, you're not watching, you're not immersed in the film. There's one scene where there's, there's one part in the documentary where they're showing um, the pathway to the castle you know, oh, that, oh that, Geiger. Yeah. His Geiger's painting. Yeah. Yeah. And in like how it's riddled with like traps, basically, it's such a cool concept and they show the art that's connected to it. It, it just really stood out to me. Um, I would want to watch it again just to kind of like analyze 
certain images again. The ending of the documentary got me really frustrated, but also it, it's realistic <laughs> when they show all the things that were, quote, influenced by it. Uh, and then you think about the the people, and then you think about the people who made some of these projects and how big they are and how much power they have in Hollywood and how no one would ever question what they do. It's very frustrating, but then you're like, but that's just, that's the way this system is. And that's why Jodorowsky's like, I did comic books instead. I did comic books. So, and at the end of this, he mentions like, basically like anyone take this book and maybe turn it into an animated movie. Would you yeah. want to see that? Oh, 100%. 100%. I love anything. I love anything fantastic like that. And this is this is like the true definition of what the word fantastic is. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. And I'm honestly I'm surprised they haven't just sold like reprinted the the giant book the Jodorowsky's Dune. I know cuz it looks beautiful. It looks like it's ready to go. I, sell it fucking print that and sell it and i'm also i'm i truly am surprised that they've never turned it into an animated movie but i i i'm not that surprised i guess you know because there would be they're always like oh brand management oh that people aren't gonna understand why this is it's like people are not as dumb as you fucking think they are you could put you could put it out call it jodorowsky's dune no one's gonna fucking confuse it for villanova's dune you know just Make it animated. Like, I do believe someone, maybe a hundred years from now, will take Jodorowsky's Dune and turn it into an animated movie. Yeah, it's going to take a long time, and he'll have to probably be passed away, and it'll be his son signing over the rights to it yeah. to make some money. And yeah. I totally don't. I, I support that. Yeah. But, you know, like, you, you brought up Fifth Element. Um, when that movie came out, nobody in the right, like... I remember when I saw it in theater, I'm like, what am I watching in a good way? Yeah. And that movie was, that movie was huge. It continues to be huge. You say multi-pass and people know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. There's no way though that studios would have like originally thought that that's okay. You it know, takes, but they made, they it got, takes it time. takes guts and guts and time. Even Richard Stanley says these big concepts, like they take years for, for society to accept them and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So not to, not in 1975, but maybe in 2028. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I, I recommend this documentary too. Um, yeah. You know, if anything, just for like a look into the creative process and, and oh, passion. Oh, it's brilliant. Just like, like a look into someone who's passionate about something, you know, and just, I love that kind of shit. And, and, and honestly, that's kind of the reason, you know, we, we started the Carpenter Factor. We both... Zach, I know you do too, but me too. But like, we both love auteurs because I think we both—we're both artists. We're both creatives. Um, we have that soul inside of us, and I think we like to see, you know, someone really just stand by their gumption and be like, "This is what I want." Now, whether or not Carpenter, you know, he whether he maintained being an auteur the entire time is debatable. And go listen to the Carpenter Factor for that discussion. But I believe Jodorowsky maintained always to be an auteur. Oh yeah, without a doubt. We won't be doing his films, but no. uh, <laughs> but but he is. He's a true. He's true to what he does. He is. 
I'm really glad you liked it, buddy. I was um, I was a little unsure if, if this was going to hit for you or not, but I am glad you liked it. Oh, I love this stuff. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And I love $2 Lifey, baby. And this will be dropping, oh, buddy, at the end of August. Zach, Zach, what do we have going on in September, my man? Well, I will say this. Um... If you sign up to our Patreon, no, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, no, consider it. September will commence the crossover event of the year. $2 late fee and podcasting after dark will be crossing over to cover a movie, an interview, a breakdown, a $2 six questions and territory marks. We're covering all like we're doing five. So, we're going to have to find a way to like sandwich one of those in midweek probably <laughs> because uh, it's going to be stacked for the yeah, month of September. But it is. yeah, we are, we are doing it all. Um, if you don't know what the movie is yet that you will find out very soon, but it will give you a hint. Uh, it, it, it checks off all the boxes for $2 late fee and podcasting after dark. It does. It's got gore. <laughs> it's got nudity. It it's does. got a great soundtrack. It does. It's set in the eighties. It does. It, it is. It's, it's literally <laughs> everything. It's got mullets and boobs. I mean, what more could you ask for? So, uh, uh, you're going to love what we're, what we're, you're going to love what we're bringing to the table next month. Dude, I, that soundtrack, man, I'm still, I'm still jamming out to it, baby. So good. So good. I, I like I don't want to say, but if you're a Patreon subscriber, you already know because you've submitted questions to our guests that we're going to have. Um, we might have clues at this point on Instagram. And, you know, but, oh, also on top of that, uh, you know, we're like Corey's going to be joining uh, Territory Marks for the first time. So we, we've got. And, and, and are you going to warn him? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I already warned Paul London about it. Paul is Paul's down, so uh, he shares the same brain as we do. Oh yeah, I know. I I listen to Territory Marks. So I think I I listen to Two Dollar Lefty as well. Um, and guys and gals, if you're unsure what that means, uh, Territory Marks is kind of like TV Obscura. Um, you know how we have TV TV Obscura on the podcast after dark uh, feed. Territory Marks is on the Two Dollar Lefty feed. It's Zach and um, Paul London are going through and talking about sort of non WWF, uh, you know, matches and stuff from the eighties, very nostalgic and everything, but they they talk specifically about territories and not, not the, the WWF stuff and everything. So yeah, obscure, more, a little bit more obscure. obscure. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and like I said, you can find that on the $2 late fee feed as well. So yeah, I'm excited to be on that. I'm excited for an entire month. Um, our previous uh, crossover episodes, you know, it started out with like one or two episodes and, and, and then or one episode, then it went to two episodes and it was always inevitably going to an all uh, an entire month crossover. So our next month will be dedicated to one particular movie. And then after that, we'll get back into our normal, you know, razzmatazz and everything. But everything will be released simultaneously on Podcasting After Dark and $2 late fee. So I can't wait. Uh, we've already started recording some stuff, and it's it's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> and then I also realized $2 late fee is doing a, a benefit um, a fundraiser anniversary episode live in September as well. And Corey will be joining yep. us for that, too, September yep. 30th. So uh for supporting a really great cause and have a lot of fun on the show. 
Yeah, that's awesome, man. I, I can't wait for September. And I'm not going to lie, dude. I really enjoy August. I really enjoy these documentaries. We're going to keep them going. I Last year, I knew I was going to do Jodorowsky's Dune the following year. I don't have one in my head for next year, but we're going to do something because it's awesome. I love this, dude. I really, really do. I already got something in mind. <laughs> Of course you do. And uh, guys and gals, go check out podcastingafterdark.com if you want to you know, pick up uh, something from our merch store, if you want to you know, listen to whatever episodes, see a full catalog, and, you know, all of our past episodes and everything are there. Um, all our links to every podcatcher out there, yada, 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 everything you need. Go to podcastingafterdark.com and you can find everything. Same as $2LAFE.com, that's T-W-O. You can find the merch store links to $2LAFE there. You can find Patreon links, everything. You know, the whole kit and caboodle. But, um, man, you didn't really do a lot of voices this time. But as always... Well, I'm back. You <laughs> thought you got ready to be, but I'm back. It's He's me, Menachem. And I'm back, baby, to tell you, we'll catch you on the dark side, just like Jodorowsky's Dune, because you'll never see it, baby. It's never coming out uh, in the mainstream Hollywood, because, you know, mainstream Hollywood, they just don't get movies like we do. So catch you on the dark side. Uh, 21st century motion pictures is what it's yes. at. Oh, wait, oh, that went bankrupt, we too. We didn't mention that. And by oh, yeah. The, your Menachem sounds very much like Watto from episode one. Oh, does it? <laughs> oh, it, it kind of sounds a little bit like the dog on uh, Conan O'Brien, too. <laughs> it does. It does. I love it. <laughs> but it's me, Menachem. And, you know, um, as always, we'll catch you on the dark side. Uh, well, I will be... And, uh, well, you know, we'll, we'll see who else will join me in the near, very new future. Oh, oh, I shouldn't say that. Never God mind. God damn it. God damn it. Catch you on the dark side. Bye. Be sure to subscribe to Podcasting After Dark and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Support Podcasting After Dark on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcasting After Dark. And visit us next time for another installment of Podcasting After Dark with Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it. <laughs>